Hello and welcome to Thriving in Intersectionality, a podcast created to help you learn from professionals in the workplace who have multiple intersectional identities, from ethnic minorities, veterans transitioning into the workforce, individuals with disabilities, parents, and so many more. My name is Lola Adeyemo. I am the CEO of EQI Mindset and the founder of the nonprofit Immigrants Incorporate Inc. I work with organizations to build inclusive workplaces. This podcast was built to amplify the voices of leaders and immigrants in the corporate workplace and to give insights and guidance so people can move past their barriers and advance in their professional careers. Through interviews and solo episodes, I'm going to examine this global world of work. I know that you can learn a thing or two from my guests who have a range of experiences and stories to share. Join me as we meet new people who are successfully navigating the corporate space. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Thriving in Intersectionality podcast and my conversation with Aisha Suleiman. She's an award-winning diversity and inclusion leader, an entrepreneur, and a keynote speaker. Our company is called The Inclusive Culture, and they help organizations thrive by building a sense of community through empowering their employee resource groups and encouraging allyship in the workplace. You can already tell that we had a great conversation because there's so much alignment there. And she was recognized as an Empower 100 Ethnic Minority Future Leader in 2020. Aisha has worked with renowned global brands like Amazon and IPG Media Brands. She's also a member of the Rugby Football League's Inclusion Board. She uses her expertise to support the delivery of its inclusion, equality, and anti-discrimination plan. In 2022, Aisha launched True White Allies, a groundbreaking film project that shares the stories of historical white anti-racist from as early as the 1700s to inspire increased allyship and action. Enjoy this episode. Are you a corporate professional who is an immigrant or a child of immigrant? Are you looking for a community of support to advance your corporate career? Immigrants Incorporate, IIC, is a nonprofit that is building a community for you. Come and join us on Facebook. The Facebook group is Immigrants Incorporate. Belong and thrive in the workplace. See you there. Hello and welcome to the Thriving in Intersectionality podcast. Um, we are across the miles today and I will let Aisha tell you where she is, but um, I'm here having a conversation with Aisha Suleiman and we'll talk about names. Okay? <laughs> but I think it's very important to start off the conversation here. Aisha is a name. I grew up in Nigeria and I'm familiar with Aisha and I associate it by default with Muslim. And so it's funny because leading the conversation around intersectionality with that, I think is very important when we talk about our assumptions about people 
without really knowing people. So Aisha, can you pronounce your name for us and tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are and where you, the origin of your name? Cool. So Aisha Suleiman, um, and I'm in London at the moment, but also Nigerian, born and raised. So I moved to London about 10 years ago. So I moved here for my master's. Before I moved here, I actually lived in Dubai. So that was where I did my first degree. Uh, and then I came here for my master's. So yeah, 10 years ago. So I'm officially a Londoner. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, 10 years. I We actually have similar path because I also moved here 14 years ago mm -hmm. as a student. Ah. So, yeah, I, I had my, my master's in the U.S. as well. So that student to worker route um, yes. in, in America is all of the experience I have. And I, I, I think we'll touch on that a little bit, what that transition was like for you, uh, part of the audience for this conversation is people that have moved across different countries, but also people that um, maybe schooled in a different country and then are walking, are coming in for work um, in, in a place different from where they were raised. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit more about you, um, your background, uh, personality, and then uh, your career path so far. Yeah, so career path so far. So funnily enough, I was actually supposed to be a doctor. So I studied science throughout school. I was supposed to be a doctor, specifically a gynecologist. BFFs. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, I didn't get to that level of specificity. I, I was supposed to, right? But then when I finished and the university my parents wanted me to go to, it was an all-girls medical school. And throughout school, I had never gone to like an all-girls school. It was always mixed. So Where I thought to myself... All-girls medical school? Where is that? Yeah, this was in the UAE. So it was oh, going to be like, it's in this place called Ajman. It was like an hour away from Dubai. And then I found out, not only was it an all-girls medical school, but they also had a curfew. So you had to be back in the dorm by like, was what was it, 8 or 9 p.m.? And I thought, uh-uh, no. <laughs> I'm like, I have been waiting to go to university to have a great time explore and now you're telling me i'm going to have some sort of curfew and I, it's an all-girls school i was like no no i told some friends i was like no i don't want to study medicine anymore i think i'll just go study business and that's exactly what i did my mom was like really yeah me and my sister my sister as well was supposed to be a pharmacologist but we were like no i was like i'll just study business so I went and I studied HR management and the reason for that was I met this woman at the time and she was so cool. So, you know, she was unmarried, living by herself, had her nice Range Rover, living her best life. She was Nigerian as well. And then, so I said to her, oh, you know, what did you study? And she was like, oh, HR management. Oh, I was like, oh, tell me about that. So she's like, oh, you know, it's all about, you know, how you manage the talent in your organization and so on. So I was like, you know what, that sounds great. And you seem cool. I'm going to study that. <laughs> So that was how I completely abandoned <laughs> becoming a doctor to go study HR. Um, so, yeah, when I finished studying HR, then, yeah, I did my master's. And my first sort of entry into the corporate world, HR. So I was like, OK, cool. I've studied HR. Let me let me sort of pursue this. Um, and then I found that I didn't like it. <laughs> um, it was because I kind of felt like HR, the way that I had learned it was all about you know, protecting the business as opposed to the people. And I thought, wait, hold on a minute. I thought this was all about, you know, helping people succeed in the workplace. But now you're telling me, so I was like, no, this is for me. Um, so then I went more into like a recruitment focused role. 
And then after that, it was mostly like a lot of coordination. So I worked for Amazon at the time and I was a coordinator and Amazon's interview process is intense. So there's like two phone interviews. And then if someone makes it to the on-site interview, it's basically like five different interviewers um, and each for like 45 minutes. And they're not all in the same location sometimes. So sometimes the person could come in the office and then maybe two people meet them in person, but then one person will join from the US by video conference, another person's in Paris and so on. And you have to coordinate like, a lot of those every week so it was basically like organizing large-scale events all the time right. um absolutely hated it towards the end but now looking back that job helped me so much because when it comes time to like planning organizing like any large-scale sort of projects i'm always like calm as a cucumber because then all sorts of things will go wrong right you book the room maybe the room is not correct um you know, you dialed an interviewer in, they're late, all of this stuff, right? So it just got to the point where it's, you just got used to something always going wrong. So you always had like line A, B, C. B, C. <laughs> yeah. So like now attention to detail is on point. And like whenever I have to like coordinate anything or manage anything large scale, I never really panic because I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Nobody will die. <laughs> Nobody will die. Oh my gosh. Are you, you know what I'm just loving about you sharing? Because I, I think a lot of time we spend the early days of our lives wondering what we're going to be, what we're going to study, especially mm-hmm. growing up the way, you know, um, I also grew up in Nigeria and I don't think I knew a lot of careers. I mean, apart from doctor and engineering. Yeah. You, you're good in science subjects. So I was supposed to be a doctor too. Uh-huh. And I realized I didn't like blood. Oh. Like, this is not going to work. <laughs> um, but but I think when I also talk to people, it's always just... You, you, some people know exactly what they want to be. Mm-hmm. And they're ready, right? They want to go for it. And I always felt like there was something wrong with me. Because I was like, no. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's okay. And for each of the roles, I mean, you're talking about program management. You're talking about event management. Forget about the title. You know, mm-hmm. we learn something from each of these roles that we bring into our self. Mm-hmm. Whenever we do, you know, start to step into that. Exactly. Whatever that is. I feel like we're always stepping into ourselves anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Good. Mm-hmm. exactly exactly funnily enough you mentioned program management because after the coordinator role in recruitment that was exactly what I went on to do because like, oh, I'm really good at you know this whole project management thing and you know I really liked it so I moved on to that role and then I was also doing DIF side of my desk so I started um the first black ERG in the UK uh, with a group of people and it was interesting because at the time this was what probably 2016 2017 um so at the time in the UK people didn't even like talking about race so like even saying black was a thing so they use this term called BAME so it's like black Asian and like minority ethnic so whenever they would talk about anything diversity they just lump everyone together because they didn't want to just say black or just say Asian so and, and when we started the ERG we said it's the black employee network following the name that you know was already in the US we said we we're like yeah we're gonna call it that you know we had people here saying oh you know why don't you call it BAME and I was like no 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 none of this BAME thing 
you know, like, yes, there are shared experiences, but we're talking about black people here. And so it's interesting, you know, after 2020, you know, after what happened in the US, here we started to have conversations about, hey, don't be pointing at the US thinking that it's just them. You have problems here as well. And those conversations were happening. And then all of a sudden people were like, actually, let's ditch this whole BAME thing. So it's really fascinating seeing how the conversation has shifted. I'm like, well, thank you. Thank you for realizing, you know, that you can't. trying to tell you for a while and exactly I, and I think that's similar to the u.s too with people of color poc poc mm-hmm. poc mm-hmm. and then um i actually worked as part of dei and all of the data um i remember i was slice and dice the data and like you know we put so much into this poc we are not seeing what we should address and then mm-hmm. the poc numbers look great Mm-hmm. For certain mm-hmm. locations, uh, if we have a lot of Asians there, but we are basically putting like anybody that is not white mm-hmm. under this umbrella of people of color. Yeah. And the thing is, even when you look at, so if we take Asian as a group, right? So for us here, predominantly it's people with Pakistani heritage, Bangladeshi heritage, just also people Chinese heritage and Indian heritage. But when you look at some of the government stats by ethnicity, so when you look at things like pay, for example, um, people from with Indian heritage actually tend to end more than people of Pakistani or Bangladeshi heritage. So even within that group of Asian, there's so many differences. So it just doesn't help to like lump everyone in the same category. Cause when you break it down, that's when you can really see the differences and then you can start to unpack, okay, wait, why is this happening? Right, right. Yeah. So I, I've seen, what I've seen is that people that want, people just want to pad the data. Yes. So you lump as many things as you can lump so that your numbers can look good. But yes. if you're really trying to solve problems, you will mm-hmm. want to break it down to, yeah. you know, divisions that can help you really see what's the pain point for this group what's the pain point for this group mm-hmm. um so yeah so tell us about what you're doing now yeah so and right now sort of came together yeah so yeah i was doing the outside of my desk with the erg stuff and i had a lot of di people coming and asking me for advice and i thought to myself well if you're coming to me asking me for advice surely i should be doing your job <laughs> So then I thought, okay, cool. Let me go um, go after a DEI role full-time. Um, so yes, now I do DEI full-time work in an advertising company, um, but I also have my own business. So I run my own inclusion consultancy, the inclusive culture. And basically what it does is it helps um, companies build community in the workplace. So we do things like, yes, focus on helping them empower their ERGs, uh, but also like workshops and presentations about things like allyship, uh, intersectionality, you know, how do you find and keep your talent throughout the whole talent life cycle, that sort of thing. Um, So that's what I'm doing at the moment. Uh, But yeah, it's been interesting, the journey, because a lot of my DI work, I am having to work a lot with people in HR. So in a way, I still sort of came back there. You still... No, but, but you have a different view. And I think that view yeah. is very important uh, mm-hmm. because I, I felt the same way. We actually have a lot of alignment with our parts because as I'm mm-hmm. thinking about it, I have a science background as well. I ended mm-hmm. up getting my, my master, my, I have the, my biochemistry and then biotechnology. Wow. So I stayed in the industry. Mm-hmm. My master's was in biotech. I, I worked in, when I was in corporate, I worked in biotech organizations. And I used to look at HR as, you know, the company people. <laughs> and and when I started to discover, when I got involved in ERGs, mm-hmm. that's when I started to learn about DEI. And but the problem was that my company DEI was under 
was multiple layers under HR. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of uh, a struggle for me because I was like, well, I'm interested in DEI, but I'm not HR. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be HR. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, helping companies, helping organizations to to develop communities is, is, is really where I landed as well, is whatever you call it. Because using the term ERG, sometimes people are like, oh, we don't have ERG, but we have groups called these. And I was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, you know. Yes. ERG, <laughs> BRG, affinity groups. Um, yeah. So people just have the task councils. Um, but how are companies being intentional about setting up these communities, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. especially large, large organizations um, yeah. that I work really with. So let's come back to learning because you've done a lot of, apart from the career insights, because I think that's a big one. First yeah. is um, you are thriving at these intersections with your role, with your background, with your experiences, uh, and and so if you're speaking to people who are mid-level, early career, um, what are some of the things that you would say helped you be successful mm-hmm. that um, maybe that you did or that you wish you had done that mm-hmm. they can leverage? Mm. So I would say uh, one thing, I guess always being the one who sort of looked at things differently has actually been to my benefit. So like growing up in Nigeria, there's a lot of things that, you know, about either the culture, especially when it comes to things like gender equality, right? And I would always sort of be like, well, why is it like that? Like, why do why do women have to do this and men are supposed to do that? That doesn't actually make any sense to me. It used to get me into a lot of trouble when I was a kid. You ask, wait, did you ask that in Nigeria? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I used to get into a lot of trouble, right? And I thought that it was a bad thing, this curiosity that I had. But now that I'm older and I'm in a DI role, I'm like, actually, <laughs> this you, you was my calling. Huh? Yes, yes. Professional troublemaker. Yes. (laughs) Basically, yeah, basically. And the other one I had was um, when I initially met my uh, boyfriend last year and, you know, he was trying to explain to his mom what I do. And, you know, he said, oh, she works in diversity and inclusion. And then he was like, okay, so basically it's like she's a feminist, but she gets paid. Oh my gosh, that's a good one. I was like, that is brilliant. I'm keeping that. I'm like, that I am a professionally brilliant. paid feminist. <laughs> wow. That, that's a good one. Um, because Nigerians would understand feminism. They might not mm-hmm. understand, you know, black and mm-hmm. ethnic and all of that, but they understand feminism. They understand all the gender equality issues. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so I think, yeah, having having that sort of mindset has, has been good for me. Um, the other thing is, yes, I have to say my Nigerian background. So, you know, we're very entrepreneurial, right? You know, this whole saying, Nigeria, they carry last and all that, you know. It was so funny. I had a colleague a couple of years ago who's South African. And the first time he went to Nigeria, he came back and he said to me, he was like, oh my God, what's going on in Nigeria? What's in the water? He's like, everyone I met, they had like two, three different businesses, you know, that nobody had like one thing going on. I was like, that is the Nigerian mentality. Like you need to have plan A, B, C and different things going. Um, And that's really helped me because yeah, when I first, when I moved here and I noticed that everyone kind of just like had, you know, their day job and that was it. I was like, hmm, that's really interesting. Um, And, you know, that really, that Nigerian mindset pushed me to, you know, start my own business, have it as a side hustle and so on. So I think even like in the workplace, I had 
one of my old managers, she's always saying to me, oh, I love that you're so entrepreneurial. And in my head, I'm like, it's so nice that she's saying this. Like, I'm using this word, but I'm like, I just feel like this is just what Nigerians do. Like, we're just... But, but that's just... interesting that you say that. I, I think I, I've... I resisted that for a while. I think I'm, I'm at mm-hmm. the other extreme, or I grew up at the other extreme, right? Where mm-hmm. I felt like my younger sister was very entrepreneurial. But I always never like to use that word for myself. I always, I always say I'm not because mm. I felt like I could never start my own business. I could never run my business. I'm a corporate girl, you know, going to yeah. climb that corporate ladder. So it was, you know, it was sort of like my safety net. Like when I started working in America, it's like, yeah, I don't know how you business people do it. I can't run yeah. a business. I don't yeah. have the entrepreneurial gene in me. But mm-hmm. then I got into employee resource group and it was like a second full-time job. <laughs> and there and you then go. volunteering with organizing. But I never thought of it about like that until I quit my corporate job. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I guess I've always had it. I just Yeah. And when I think about an entrepreneurial mindset, it doesn't necessarily mean for like going and starting a business. It's more about that proactiveness mm-hmm. and being able to get up and say, okay, this isn't done. I'm going to figure out a way to do it. I love that distinction because I think that was my challenge because mm-hmm. I always, when I would hear entrepreneur, I'm thinking of people that have their business, they have their LLC, they're not employed by anybody. I was like, I could never do that. Mm-hmm. But being entrepreneurial and, and even the term that I use entrepreneurial mm-hmm. you are within a company, don't just sit and do the bare minimum and go. There's mm-hmm. tons of opportunity for you to develop yourself, to start new projects, to gain new knowledge. Uh-huh. Um, so I think that's what I'm hearing you saying is you don't, don't, don't think you have to quit your job. Uh-huh. Um, to yeah. Another word I would use is being resourceful. So say, you know, like now, right. Recycling. So like when you, you know, eat food and it's in those little plastic containers, now they talk about recycling. Uh-huh. Like you talk to most Nigerians, they grew up, you know, that Supreme ice cream, the tub, right. And all sorts of tubs. We used to keep those and then put food in them, put it in the freezer. We were basically recycling for time, right? And now it's like, oh, recycling. So that's what I mean. Being able to take something and say, okay, this is what it was initially for, but this is how I'm going to use it. Um, Mm. So I think like being resourceful, having that entrepreneurial mindset, they're kind of very much linked. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. How many Um, many things are you doing right now? I mean, so yeah, there's my full-time job and then, then there's my business. Oh, full-time job? Um, I, I'm, I work in DI for an okay. advertising company. Okay. Yeah, I, I lead DI for them. Um, and then there's my business. I also have a the world in her words, which is basically like a platform. So initially I started it and it was to share like strategies um, related to career for like black women and like women of color. But now this year, I'm going to change it slightly. Right now, I think I want it to be more inspirational. So like posting inspirational things just to like motivate people, just like little short videos. So yeah, no, just just three things. Just three just, things. Just, just three things. Just three things. Maybe I, I, I would <laughs> Further, I'll find like five other things that you have in the pipeline. <laughs> no, it's not true. <laughs> and and a lot of time we overlook it ourselves. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, 
if I can think of the third thing then, so this, you know, that saying we have in Nigeria, oh, does this person have two heads, you know, that, you know, when they do something. So it's often it was, it was used in a negative way as in, oh, you know, to sort of shame you like, oh, this person, they have two heads. But actually I flipped it around. And what I say to myself is when I see people achieving amazing things, I'm like, oh, does this person have two heads? No, they're just a human being like me. So if they could find a way to achieve this goal that they had, like I can also do the same thing. Like they're not this supernatural being. They are capable of just the same things I am. So I'm just as capable as them. So I've sort of flipped it and moved away from thinking about it as a way to shame myself when I feel like I'm not achieving enough. It's more like, actually, yeah, this person is just like me and I can do the same thing. I love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. Sorry. You're making my brain spin. So <laughs> so when you see me just having that look, I'm like thinking about the things that you're saying. Like, that is so true. This has been great. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat with me. It's a uh, nine, eight hour time difference. Uh, <laughs> nine, eight. I don't know which one it is. Um, but I, I also, I love to get perspective from people who are in different countries a lot, because mm-hmm. I think when we talk about workplaces, mm-hmm. um, there are certain things that is always common. And even though the experiences might be different, it's similar. We're talking about building inclusive workplaces mm-hmm. and, and some of the, the, the barriers might be similar. Some might be more enhanced in other part of the world, but the idea that, uh, a culture that puts people first, people mm-hmm. who want when people walk in the place, they are not giving their whole life to you, right? They want to do their job and they have goals and, and ambitions as well. So um, so if you're speaking to companies um, that are maybe trying to do it right, is there mm-hmm. something else you want to share from that perspective? Not, not just the individual now, but um, the, from the work you're doing with, with your organization, is there tips from that perspective? Uh, start f- with it from the beginning. So I, this one is specifically for startups. What I hear a lot of startups say, especially in the beginning, is, oh, we're just focused on making money right now. We don't really have time to think about DEI. The problem is when you get bigger, you've already started a company that doesn't care about DEI. Trying to change that is going to be very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. So think about inclusion from the very beginning and make it just simply part of how you run your business. So that way, whenever you're hiring new people, you're looking for people with that mindset and also you're just training them to see, hey, this is simply how we do things, right? So don't wait until you get bigger to then start thinking about DEI. Focus on it from the beginning. Um, second thing I would say is a lot of it is your processes and your systems. So a lot of DEI issues are caused by poor processes and systems. So if we talk about things like pay equity, for example, if your mechanism for tracking um, pay isn't solid, what's going to happen is there will be pay disparities because there's no way for people to understand, okay, when I hire someone, how does it impact the rest of the team? How does it impact things like the gender pay gap and so on and so forth, right? So look at your processes and your systems. That's where you need to make the changes rather than sort of seeing DI as like an addition, right? So sort of instead of saying, oh, you know, let's look at making sure that, you know, our recruiters are specifically just trained on how to source um you know candidates from diverse pools look at everything that a recruiter does look at everything that you do in terms of training a recruiter and then say how can we make each step inclusive um so yeah those are the two things i would say start with it from the beginning if you're a startup don't wait until you get bigger to focus on it and the second thing is a lot of it is look at your processes and your systems those are the things that are causing the dei issues yes yeah yes to all that i mean it's it's part of why 
people say, you know, you keep talking about the same thing. We're talking about the same thing. Well, we're going to keep talking about the same thing. If you're peace, if you're picking these things out, like just the one and done, mm-hmm. we're talking about processes that are scalable. We're talking about something that would last, will stand the test of time. It's not mm-hmm. going to be an overnight thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's got to be built into your every step, every step of your process. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Before I go to my last question, which is a food question, <laughs> um, I, I want to say again, thank you for the work you're doing. I just feel so much alignment. It's nice to, to, to talk to somebody who is in the same space with similar journey and, and um, compare notes, but also get fresh, fresh ideas and insights. I, yeah. I learn some ways to look at things that I, I had not even been thinking about before. So, um, is there anything else you want to share before we go to the food? Or are you ready for food? Um, yeah, I think I didn't really touch so much on like advice for like the individuals. Um, oh, yes. I mean, I, I was grabbing those advice. As you, I, I think, you know, I was extracting them for you from your experiences. But yeah, for, for the people listening um, yeah. who work in large companies, small companies, mm-hmm. startups, and and what lessons have you gotten from your, your steps that mm-hmm. um, you would share with them? Yeah. So I'll tell you what actually someone told me. So he's Nigerian as well, older Nigerian man um, in the workplace. So he gave me a lot of advice. And one of the things he told me was know who you are. And he, because he said, if you know who you are, like it's, it's going to be really hard for people to like shake you. And it's so true because when I think about a lot of problems tend to be caused by lack of self-awareness so people not understanding who they are and why maybe they don't like particular things or why they want things done a particular way. And yeah, not being able to sort of reflect on your experiences and look at a situation and say, okay, how did I contribute to this? What could I have done better? All of that comes with self-awareness. So know who you are and work on your self-awareness. Um, the other thing I would say is having a community of people around you. So like the mentors, yes, immigrants, if possible, people from different walks of life that aren't immigrants who can just advise you mentor you or just like listen to you as well um but that being said you need to make it easy for people to help you right so if you're asking for advice mentorship make it easy for people to help you so i'll give you an example often what happens is on linkedin sometimes people will send me a message and they'll say oh hi you know i'm looking for a new job is your company hiring And I'm like, okay, so now you're not making it easy for me to help you because what I would have done is I would go on the company website, look at all the jobs that are available, and then I would narrow it down to the ones that I want, maybe one to three roles that I want, uh, tailor my CV for the roles. Then I would message and say, hi, um, I've looked on your company website. These are the jobs I've identified. Um, Here's my CV. Would you be able to maybe do a referral for me or something? So now you've made it easy for someone to help you because you've basically done all the work. So maybe all they have to do is send an email, maybe click a button. But when you're starting from, oh, do you have any jobs available? So now you're putting the onus on me to right. go and look for the jobs for you. And then, so it's, it's, it's just, sometimes people say that, oh, people don't want to help. But when you find out how they ask for the help, then you're like, well, you basically created a lot of work for them. <laughs> so I see why you, you, they didn't, really want to help you so like yes ask for help but make it easy for people to help you so like whenever you ask someone for help just think like if you were in their shoes like what would make it easy for you to help right yourself basically 
right i know i have seen so many i love to connect with people on linkedin like i'm on linkedin a lot i respond to people because i know i've met some amazing people on linkedin as well um that i've taken advantage of but some people just make me just walk away Uh you know there are certain people with the way they approach like i don't even dignify it with the response Uh i just walk away or delete it because it's like you're treating this like a text message with your buddy i don't know you yeah and then you're asking me how are you doing today Mm-hmm. Or you, your your profile doesn't even it's not even clear on what you do, and then you are sending me a one liner like, "Can you help me find a job?" You know, so it's like what what kind of like how do I even start to engage? In yeah, that kind of situation. Yeah, exactly. Or like they'll say, "Oh, can we have a call?" And it's like about what? <laughs> Talk like no context, nothing. Yeah. It's different if you say, "Hi, hey, you know, I have." A question about this particular thing would you mind having a call um and, and and then at least you know the person can make that decision um but often actually what i do is sometimes i reply and i say send me the questions and then what i'll do is yeah just answer them and sometimes people are like oh thank you so much like that was that was enough um yeah so yeah make it easy for people to help you <laughs> exactly exactly no i i I mean, if you if you think about it, like if everybody that is approaching you for 30 minutes of your time, if you are trying to give them all 30 minutes of your time, I won't have any time left. No, no, none whatsoever. None whatsoever. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, no. And, and I mean, uh, there are some people where I'm willing to have, yeah, let's have a 15 minutes conversation. Um, mm-hmm. Another one that is interesting is when people ask, um, I've had somebody who said she wanted a call and then I got on the call and it's asking me, so tell me, you know, how did you, how did you arrive at your career path? And she's asking me that you set up a call with me. And then the first question you're asking me for me to tell you about my career journey. Could have looked at your LinkedIn for that, no? I know. That's <laughs> I could have looked at LinkedIn to see my career path. Did you have a specific question? So yeah. you're right. I, I think when we, we overcomplicate this old mentoring or somebody um, helping us thing, make it easy. Make uh-huh. it easy for them to do just that. Yeah, and mentorship doesn't always have to be one-to-one. So that's the thing. I've had so many mentors, but they didn't know they were my mentors. <laughs> like I'll just, you know, go for coffee with them, maybe invite them out to lunch. As we're chatting, you know, I'm asking them questions. They're giving me, you know, information. It doesn't always have to be like a one-to-one thing. Like, oh, we're sitting down. This meeting is about mentorship. Um, and it also doesn't even have to be someone you know. Like I learned so much from podcasts. So whatever it is I want to learn, I probably just open up my Spotify, I type the keyword, look for a podcast, um, or I go on YouTube, look for someone who's talked about it. So mentorship doesn't always have to be one-to-one. Like your mentors can be authors, podcast hosts like yourself. It could be YouTubers. Like the world is our oyster these days. Like everything is just on the phone, right? Right. And whatever you're searching for, someone has probably already talked about it. So stop relying on just you know, someone in person sitting you down and talking to you, like just listen to a podcast, two people talking about a topic that you're interested in and you will feel like basically you sat down and actually asked someone and they told you. Right. And actually it makes it easier to help you because then if you listen to the podcast and you've done the research, then you can come to the conversation and say to someone, oh, you know, I was looking into this specific topic. This is what I've learned. Um, I was wondering if you had any insights. Then someone will be so happy to help you because they're like, oh, wow, look at this. Like this person has gone. They've done all their research. You know, they're only just asking me for my point of view, like my almost like my opinion, my opinion. on these particular yeah. points. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and then there will be a reason why you approached me for my opinion because mm-hmm. you've seen that 
maybe I have spoken or I work in that in that area as well. So mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah, I think we 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 all had the old traditional idea of mentor mentoring, where you find a mentor and you book a meeting once a month and you sit down with your notes and. I mean, there's still space for that, but yeah. there's also so much more, right? You can have those kind of relationships uh, because I think it's it's also about identifying what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a manager that uh, I had mentors, I had different mentors, but I had a specific manager who I remember had said he wanted everybody on his team to have a mentor. And I remember thinking, well, I already have mentors. Yeah. But he matched us with uh, people who were like executives. Mm. who were reporting to the CEO level mm-hmm. and it has to be, it was somebody different. Yeah. That was my first white male mentor. Mm-hmm. And this guy was white male in finance, like almost like there's nothing we have in common, uh, <laughs> but I learned so much from him. Yeah. Even with the humility with which he approached the mentoring relationship was like, what can I learn from you? You know, like, you know, talk to me. Maybe you want to understand more about the company. You want to understand more about um, presentations. That's my mm-hmm. niche, you know? So it's like, we got to explore, like, what can we learn from each other? Yeah. It was looking like we don't have anything in common. And I think you've made a really good point because sometimes I feel that I say to people have different types of mentors, like, yes, have mentors from a similar background as you. So like if you're an immigrant, yes, try and get um, immigrant mentors because they've gone through certain things that, you know, they can advise you on. But try and get mentors from a background completely different from yours, because sometimes a different perspective is needed because sometimes because of our cultural background, we come to the table with baggage. So specific baggage and things around you know, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that. But actually, when you hear someone who doesn't have that baggage telling you that, oh, actually, here's a different perspective. It's almost like sometimes a light bulb might go off and you'd be like, oh, actually, this what they're saying has completely shifted my mindset on this particular thing. So I think it's really important to, yes, have mentors from your background and people around you from your background, because, yes, there's certain things that only they can relate to. But definitely try and you know, get different perspectives, people not from your cultural background. Because, yeah, you can learn so much. All right. Well, so you heard it from here. Aisha has so much to offer, but please don't just slide into our inbox. No. <laughs> you're not going to you're not going to get the best from that conversation. Do your homework. Yes, um, do your homework. Check our LinkedIn and, and be specific about your ask, okay? <laughs> Yes. And if possible, don't don't ask me for a meeting first. I've been using this tool. It's called Loom. So L-O-O-M. And what it does is it lets you record videos. So whether you want to put your camera or you can just do like a screen share. And once you stop recording, it generates a link automatically and you can share that link with people. So I've actually been using it quite a lot in my business to avoid meetings. Um, so if you if someone's listening in, if you actually do have a question, send me a Loom and I'll reply via Loom. Ooh, I love it. You know what? I've seen someone use it. I've never tried it. It's super easy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. My schedule is it's so hard to fit in everybody that wants to chat. Same for clients. So one of my clients, I uh, used that and she was like, oh, thank you so much. Because like, yeah, booking meetings with me is hell. But I just sent her a two minute video. I explained what it was. And she was like, yeah, great. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't make it as interactive, but it allows the person to ask their question in real time without having to like type a message and, and lose the the art of whatever they are trying to ask. And then you can respond in the same way, right? 
Exactly. And it sort of reduces how many meetings, right? So like you get the basic gist of what it is that you're trying to convey. And then once that's all done, then you can book a meeting maybe to like do something more specific. But it's like, why book a meeting first when maybe you just need to basically understand like, oh, are we on the same page? What can we offer each other? Um, So it's just, I think too often we have like a meeting first culture and it's like, do we really need meeting? No, we don't. <laughs> yeah, and, and then some of the meetings, because for me, it's like if I book a 30 minute meeting and and then we spend 15 minutes saying hi and catching up and socializing, then we only mm-hmm. have 15 minutes to actually, and I did have a specific question, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. So yeah. that's, that's a good one. So Loom, Loom is yes. another one to look up to. Thank you for sharing that. that that's helpful. You're um, welcome. All right. Well, Aisha, thank you for the work you're doing. Um, really appreciate you coming on. Now let's talk about food. Okay. <laughs> You've been trying to get to food all this time. Not me. <laughs> I am curious. So if you could um, share a meal, a snack, a fruit with your coworkers, mm-hmm. what would it be and why did you pick that? Yeah, so it would probably be masa, um, or it's also called wena. It's basically like, um, like a round pancake looking thing but it's like thick uh it's made out of rice it's it's a northern delicacy northern nigerian delicacy and you normally have it with like a vegetable stew so yes i would have people eat waiter and vegetable stew but they have to eat it with their hands ah yes because okay. <laughs> <laughs> it tastes better with your hands i don't know why it tastes better when you eat with your hands <laughs> oh, so is, is masa like um yeah i'm thinking it's flat yeah so it's it's like round so sort of like this size but then it's also thick so it's almost like a it's like a fluffy pancake it's like a round fluffy pancake that's how i describe it okay so the soup is put in here or it's a uh sort of like on the side yeah yeah so you use it on the side you you take a piece of the masa and then you use the eating with the stew okay do you get that um are you in london do yes that? i do get it in london there's oh, a place cool. there's a place yeah. called um alhaji suya so they do suya they do jollof they also do the masa and they make it fresh freeze it and then post it over to you yes oh, absolutely yeah. and their customer service is on point really really good you know how it is like nigerian customer service sometimes mm, question mark <laughs> you know especially with the with the restaurants but this mm-hmm. one their customer service is on point Oh man, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Food, food is a big part of what I miss about Nigeria. It's mm-hmm. funny when I talk about Nigeria, I was like thinking about food. I was like, well, I miss my family, but I miss the food. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in, I'm in San Diego where we don't even have like a really good Nigerian restaurant. Oh um, no. Yeah, you have to go to like LA, which is two hours drive. And even mm-hmm. that, eh, the food is not like good so I, I feel like i've my my palate has become americanized oh no <laughs> does, does you can't you find someone who does like i don't know food deliveries there must be so, people i did find one in dallas in uh texas they ship okay really good okay. packaging um expensive but at least the food is good and mm-hmm. it's nicely packaged delivery mm-hmm. is on time so again i I think businesses uh supply chains are getting better at at recreating some of these experiences and and, yeah selling it um Mm -hmm. still doesn't beat you know getting the authentic food from oh no uh, yeah 
um it's close yes yeah <laughs> you can you can manage <laughs> you can manage it <laughs> well it was nice connecting with you i'm sure you know i would love to stay in touch collaboration opportunities the impact uh we're making um very similar spaces um <laughs> thank you for keeping um your intersectionality thriving in the workplace and all of the multiple entrepreneurial resourceful work that you're doing uh, and for sharing that with my audience today. Thank you. And thank you for your work and for having me on your show. Thank you for joining me, Lola Adeyemo, for these important conversations about the global world of work. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to share our weekly episodes with your communities and co-workers. For more resources and upcoming events, visit our website www.thrivinginintersectionality.com and join our LinkedIn group, Thriving in Intersectionality. Additional links and resources are listed in the show notes of this episode. Thank you.